There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for yet another week. Uh, yet another fantastic guest today. We've got Tessa White and I will introduce her to you shortly. Um, yeah, wherever you are in the world, I, I hope uh, you are keeping your head up. I hope you are moving forward. I hope you are looking at how you can elevate your thinking uh, and the way that you're being and also um, focusing on acting on things that contribute to a better world because we we need us all to step up right now in these uh, unusual times to contribute to a better world through our work and i think business can play a really important role in, in helping um to provide a solution rather than being uh, a, a key part of the problem um, so on last week's show we repeated well, we didn't repeat actually we aired the 500th uh, show uh, that i've recorded on voice america and I was interviewed and talked with um, Elizabeth Binberg Hearn, who's a, a three times best-selling author. Stephen Morris, who's a marketing strategist, an amazing artist, and, and a successful author. Hilary Wilson, who's um, worked with sixty percent of the FTSE one hundred at board level as a coach, a best-kept secret. And John Jennings, who's a colleague of mine and uh, is a, a real expert on leadership engagement, and has worked in the USA and California. So they, we were talking last week about impact and we were talking about um, referencing an event that I put on on the 2nd of March where I invited my show guests to join me for an evening where we focused on impact and I interviewed some pretty amazing uh, people. Um, so we shared some of the ideas, some of the thoughts about how can you impact the world through your work? How can you be more? How can you um, act in a even more a better way to be able to contribute to um, being a part of the solution. Um, so do go back and have a listen to that in the archive. But let's um, focus in now on on careers. And I wanted to introduce you today to um, an amazing guest. She's absolutely fascinating. And we're going to talk about her new book, um, Tessa White's book, Unspoken Truths for Career Success. And I suppose the question here is, think about is how do you best navigate your career or the complex relationship between individuals and the workplace today um, you might be sitting here and you might be a recruiter you might be a, a line manager or the director of a company or you might be somebody who is really focusing on on developing your career through your company and you might have um you might have some misconceptions about what's really going on now my guest tessa white is known as the job doctor and she exploded on social media with her expertise on careers and how to navigate the complicated relationship between individuals and the workplace in late 2020. Um, after she'd led for 20 years human resource functions with, with a, a Fortune 50 to, through to fast growth startups. Um, with more than a million followers on social media, she was recognized on USA Today's list as one of the top speakers to watch in 2022. And her book, the Unspoken Truths for Career Success was released in February, and a podcast, The Job Doctor, is in, 
is available on Spotify and Apple. So let's talk today about the unspoken truths for career success and how can you really understand what's truly going on so you can navigate your career with, um, well, with success. So uh, welcome to Tessa White. Thank you. Boy, you make me sound so great. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> well, you're right. I've, just, I've read your book and it's a good one. And you've got lots of experience, so you're here for a reason. So you deserve a a good introduction. Um, but before we um, we get into all of the the details about um, the unspoken truths for career success, tell us a little bit about you know where's home, and uh, also tell people about your bobcats. Ah, yes, the Bobcats. <laughs> I live in Alpine, Utah, which is about a half an hour outside of Salt Lake City. What's so great about where I live is it's nestled in the mountains. And so as I work, and probably as we do this podcast, there will be coyotes, uh, bobcats. We watched uh, three baby bobcats grow up in our in our backyard. We've got deer. I've had uh, wild turkeys, you know, you name it. Our, our backyard is a zoo, and it, it, to me, it is just spectacular to be working and all of a sudden look out your window and see that. Oh, amazing. I was, um, I, I mentioned earlier, I have this community of, uh, of, of show guests called the Elevation Collective, and one of them, Peter Kelly Detweiler, who lives up in, I think he lives on the, he lives on the East Coast somewhere, um, towards Cape Cod, that sort of area. And last week, a... Uh, there was a couple of wolves on a carcass and one of them um, sort of started coming towards him uh, quite aggressively oh, wow. in, in his own garden. Oh, um, my. So I thought, crikey, I mean, the the, the most – I took a dog out a couple of days ago and she chased a hare. <laughs> we, don't get, <laughs> we don't get predators in our garden, but so it must be quite amazing. I, I, just, I couldn't live in a better place for me because I love – outdoors i love the mountains i'm a fly fisherman and so utah is a perfect home for me and what, what do you like about fly fishing the fish chris of course yeah. it's the fish <laughs> I, you know I, there's just something about it when i got divorced my dad said do you want to go to a therapist or do you want to learn to fly fish and i said <laughs> no i mean they, they both sound awful and he said tell you what you'll get more therapy on the river than you will with a therapist. Go buy some fly, go buy a fly rod and I'll teach you how to fly fish. And he was right. It became the way that I would uh, calm down. And that was my solace. And so I have turned into a very avid fly fisherman. It's my meditation. Well, I think that's, that's interesting. You say that about meditation, because you know, you know that I fly fish as well and, and, and fish. And, and the one thing I love about fishing is that I'm not thinking about work. I'm, yes. I'm thinking about casting the fly and and then yeah. what's going on and looking around and it's right. very meditative, isn't it? It is. Yeah, there's nothing quite like it to me, and just the nature. Even if I'm not catching anything, which hopefully I'm catching, but it's it's just being in nature and being present enough to know what's going on around you is is a gift in and of itself. I think. And you must see, you must see some interesting wildlife while you're fishing more more so than. Oh, yes. I, I, I remember on the Provo River, only a half hour from here, I was sitting down tying a fly and I sensed motion and I looked next to me and there was a moose, oh, right? Wow. No more than no more than six feet away from me, just sipping some water. It saw me. I saw it. It went through the water, crossed the river and the way it went. But we had a moment. Wow. Yeah. I, think one of the, I think one of the most amazing things I've ever seen actually is grizzly bear catching salmon. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I've run into bear fishing. I don't like that. 
I no. I, no, that they'll scare me, but I have run into bears several times. They're pretty big, aren't they? They're big and hairy and they're stinky, Chris. Yeah. You can smell them. You can yeah. almost smell them before you can see them. Yeah. Well, I can sort of eat all, that, all those salmon. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about your life then and, and how it's equipped you, this, uh, this great title of the job doctor. Uh, well, you know, I, I started out uh, needing to go to work. I got divorced and I had no skills. Quite, quite literally had no college degree and three children that I had to put food on the table. It was actually a really scary time for me. I mean, I could type, I could talk to people, but I really didn't know what I was good at. I ended up falling into HR and it, it, that ended up being one of the most life-changing decisions I ever made. I also fell into HR at Stephen R. Covey's company. So I worked for thought leadership expert and that shaped my early thinking. Uh, and I just kept working hard. And if, if you fast forward 20 years, I ended up in a Fortune 50 company. And it all sounds really easy when you look at it that way, but it wasn't easy. So I took the same journey as the people I'm writing this book for have taken. You know, figure it out. Try and you make mistakes. You're not quite sure how to read what's going on around you. But what's interesting about um, being in human resources is you really get to see behind the curtain what's happening, the decisions about people's careers. And you get to start to see patterns emerge. I, I call it the biggest database in the world that I have been able to study because I have got to watch tens of thousands of people's careers rise or fall. And there really are patterns. You begin to see it through a new lens. And uh, one day I said, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I, I really would like to help individuals navigate this as opposed to just helping companies. And uh, that's when the job doctor was born, right? October of the October 2020 of the pandemic, I decided to build the job doctor website and post a few videos. And here we are. Excellent. It looks great. It's great. I love the. I showed my wife actually the colours of the the site, and it looks great. Um, and uh, you also you you started TikToking, didn't you? Oh, yeah. my, my my kids TikTok. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I, I've got to be honest. I don't know as much about it as I probably should, but you you become a bit of a sensation on it. Tell us about that. Chris, I am the most unlikely influencer of all time. <laughs> I am because I can't even log in. I couldn't even log into TikTok when it first started. I couldn't understand it. My daughter said, mom, let me post a couple of videos for you. So I let her do that. And uh, three days later, I got a call from my son in California. And he said, mom, my girlfriend said she just saw you on TikTok. Is that even possible? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We did post on TikTok. So I went back and I had 10,000 followers, you know, three days later, which is unbelievable to me. And it's continued at about 1,000 followers a day since then. And so now, my I, I will tell you, my TikToks are not beautiful. I've tried beautiful TikToks. I tried to hire somebody professionally to help me, but I find that people just like the authentic, sit in my living room, you know, no makeup on today kind of approach to TikToks. And uh, my audience found me. And it's been really such a delightful accident in my mm. life because it's opened so many doors for me. And and it's so fulfilling to get the notes from people saying that I've changed their lives. So who knew I would ever be an influencer? That's that even sounds funny coming out of my mouth. And, and you obviously written this great book. I, I can't help thinking you've been to the bit work for the um, uh, you, you, uh, 
the, the, sorry, um, the Covey organization, Stephen Covey organization, yes. um, the Franklin Covey. Um, and uh, I always remember the Seven Habits was a book when I worked for Mars. It was like standard issue. We all got a copy. Yes. Uh, and uh, I've also become a, a bit of a fan of the speed of trust um, by, by his son, Stephen M. R. Covey. I mean, did those um, great books I would recommend to anybody if, who's interested in self-development, if you've not read them, um, certainly Seven Habits is is an absolute must. And The Speed of Trust, a little bit, little bit lengthy for me, but the, but the principles in it are brilliant. Um, did that inspire you in terms of the quality of the book that you wanted to produce? Well, I think being around people like that inspired me. If you took the group of people that worked at Stephen R. Covey's place when we were all young, you know, we were all bright eyed and, you know, ready to make our mark in the world. And so many of them have done incredible, phenomenal things in their life. So that to me is a testament that what they taught was the real deal. Mm. And certainly, uh, so Stephen M.R., uh, became a dear friend of mine. We were just kids when we worked there. Um, you'll see me in the preface of his book as, as a short little thank you. We've helped each other through the years, all of us that work together. And uh, I would say that was probably one of the luckiest accidents I've ever had happen in my life is working under Stephen R. Covey. Brilliant. It's, it's, yeah, it's amazing isn't it, when you have the opportunity to be around people. I felt a little bit like that at Mars, actually, because the brand I really got to understand the power of a brand and, and yes. the quality of people. Everybody you met, you thought you could learn something from. It was it was um, it was great. But Covey, yeah, it was a real kind of hero in that organization. Really, the, the Seven Habits was something we really really uh, we really loved. So and they what- let me do crazy things. They let me at I was you know twenty what was I twenty six twenty seven years old. They let me go and teach pieces of the material to their clients and they let me hire their presenters. I I put together the process to hire presenters. So when you're seeing the best of the best all the time, I mean, what a, what a crazy opportunity at that young age. Yeah. Yeah. It stays with you at that age too, doesn't it? Realizes what you can become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. So tell me, why do you think people uh, need this book right now? Why do they need the unspoken truths for career success at this point? Sorry, I've just got a bit detracted by a beautiful little bird that's uh, just out sitting outside my <laughs> my window. I think they need it. I've never seen a more adversarial relationship, to be honest, between people and their employers. And um, it, it it disturbs me a bit. You know, it, it it has changed dramatically from 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you picked a job and you said, yeah, I think I'll go work for them. And the company was like, take it or leave it. This is what we have. And uh, today, if you fast forward, there's so many choices that people have. Uh, people are willing to do gig work. That would have scared me to death. So people are willing to change jobs. And certainly with the ushering in of Gen Z, people are much more attuned to wanting to work in a place that feels humane. And the pandemic only made that more firmly entrenched. And so humane companies, companies that care about the whole individual and not just treat people as a cog, I think that that has become incredibly important. And the other thing is we're all so darn burned out, myself included. Burnout just is is such a prevalent thing now. And I think just the world in and of itself, wars, economic troubles, pandemic, it feels like we're all walking around with a watermelon on our back. Yeah. And so I think if you study burnout, Christina Maslach, the world's expert on it, she'll tell you this is 
a control issue. So people are feeling a lack of control. And so the book is really about how do you give people back a sense of control? This isn't a stick it to the man book. It's not a stick it to companies. It's how do we get along and how do we balance out the power between people and companies so that everybody has a better experience? Because I really believe that there's a place of peace again between people and their employers. Yeah. 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 It's going to be, it, it, it's just interesting. We're in this winter of discontent at the moment, aren't we? And it's, uh, it seems to be mm-hmm. affecting everywhere. And then when the economic climate gets tough, it gets a bit more aggressive. But I think also the, the pandemic too, that uh, just made people realize actually um, that they could have more balance in their life and between home and work. Um, it, messed, and, it messed us up or fixed us. I'm not sure which actually. Yeah. It really did make us reevaluate everything. And and the it made the, I put it in the book, the rat race is getting rattier. And that's what it feels <laughs> like to a lot of people. And yeah. I think they're, they're repelling against that. Yeah, I think you're right. Good. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we'll, we'll start to look at some of the, some of the lies that, um, uh, the lies that are identified in the book. And it'll be interesting to, to talk through what you mean by lies, but it's, um, it's almost um, that we might, the smoke and mirrors goes on in an organization. And I think what you do is you highlight that. And I think that is so, so helpful for people to, to ensure that um, they don't go into an organization with lots of preconceptions about things like how they're going to get promoted and uh, uh, how people feel about them. And I think you, you uncover a lot of that very well for people so they can go in with their eyes open. So the next section should help you to go into and work in an organization with your eyes much more widely open. We're back again in just a couple of minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. (laughs) 
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, Chris Cooper here, back with Tessa White, and we're talking about the unspoken truths for career success. So, Tessa, you started to allude to some of the sort of challenges that are being faced right now. I mean, from from your perspective, what really are the main problems? I think I think the biggest one is burnout, and the, and the burnout pointing to this lack of control. I think that's where everything kind of. That's the head that everything points to. And from there, it's how do you how do you create a work experience that you can feel good about being there? Uh, because what I see is people, well, it's certainly Gen Z. I call them the bye-bye generation because they're just as inclined to leave a company and never say a thing to you. Yeah. They'll leave before they talk to you and they'll say, uh, you know, if I have to write the script to the company, I, I don't want to be there, which is interesting because I wish I could say that to my husband, right? I can't say you got to guess how things should be. And if I'm not happy, I'm going to leave. Um, and yet people are also afraid to speak up at work for, for fear of losing their job or having, you know, they don't like conflict. We just are averse to conflict. So I teach people a lot in this book, how to have the right conversations so that you can have a voice. It's connected deeply to work satisfaction and yeah. how to have the right voice and how to speak up. Yeah. And I guess that that happens That's for both sides. If it's from a HR perspective or, yes. or, or a, you know, a management perspective, leadership perspective, speaking to your people and having those conversations and also those people who are maybe feeling a little bit you know, disgruntled, perhaps being able to share that in a professional, in an open way, in a safe way. Well, it's one of the first lies we talk about in the book. Um, we talk about this idea that people say, you know, if only my manager could be more clear with me or my manager would be honest with me or the company told me the truth. And yet I say, you're part of the problem. Honestly, you're you're as a person are part of the problem, and I I lead out with this idea of halfway conversations. We walk around having halfway conversations all day long at work, and if you if you think that having a halfway conversation is going to get somebody to understand a hundred percent of where you are, you're really sadly mistaken. But you can you can sit in a meeting and you can actually have somebody say. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely on board for that idea. And as they walk out of the room, you're going to hear them whisper to somebody and say, that idea will never work. I mean, that's yeah. just one example of a halfway conversation. But we, we actually live in that world all day, and it really hurts us. And that's really interesting because the thing I, I certainly found in with my experience with organizations, if you've got one person who's not bought onto something, they may say they are, but if they're not, they pay lip service. It will quite often fail because that person will sabotage it. So it's really important, isn't it, to – make sure that these half conversations are full conversations. Yeah. And, and as HR, imagine how many times I've had managers come to me and they will say all the time, I need to let this person go. And I'll say to them, well, do they know it's coming? You know, have you done a good job? And they go, oh, absolutely. They know it's coming. And I can tell you, Chris, with almost 100% certainty, they don't know it's coming. They just don't know it's coming because I think we we avoid having straight conversations. And I think people are afraid that they're going to go too far one direction 
uh, either get really too too bold, too bitchy, or they go the other direction, which is silent. And so part of the book really focuses on this idea that you have to learn to have conversations that create safe spaces, but also allow you to be honest. Because without it, your your career stalls out. I, From my observations, it's about mid-level management where getting comfortable with conflict becomes a deal breaker yeah. for your career. And if you can't have hard conversations because you're, you know, you're lobbying for resources and you're lobbying for priorities. And if you can't do it, you will stall out your career and you just can't continue to grow. Yeah. And, and you made, you were very honest in your book. You shared an example yourself where, where there's maybe a different perception of you than you'd anticipated. But once, once that had broken through and, and it was shared with you, actually everything improved your career. Oh yeah. I about got fired. I mean, if you don't mind me sharing just a short version of that story, it was so powerful for my career. I went to work early one day and we were supposed to be doing uh, stock option grants with the CEO. Blackstone was there. Two minutes later, they fired the CEO right there in front of me. So I was in the room when the CEO was fired. And the thing that really was amazing to me about that is I thought to myself, wow, like that didn't surprise me that that happened. But he seemed genuinely surprised. And then they walked me in to meet the new CEO. And I sat down and the first thing the CEO said to me is, hey, I'm going to have to let go half of the executive team. My question for you is, should you be one of them? And he proceeded to tell me that there was a perception that I was adversarial with sales. And unless I could fix that, it wouldn't help him with his agenda and what needed to happen. And I guess in that moment, I realized, you know, the one person we're supposed to be in tune with the most ourselves, we are not in tune with. And so this goes right back to how do you get feedback? How do you have honest conversations at work? How do you know where you stand and how do you communicate? And the moment that that became clear to me that I had to get clear and no one had ever shared that with me before, mm-hmm. I, it really did change the trajectory of that whole experience. I ended up loving the CEO, by the way, had a fantastic experience at this company. But how interesting that the head of HR, the person who knows people the best, did not know this about herself. Yes. And he had quite he had quite a, a good measure of the situation by the sound of it. Yes, yes, yeah. And it's just for all of us. I think I, I tell people that if you if you hear neutral to negative feedback about yourself, times it by ten because that's likely the reality, right? Because we aren't that honest. And I really encourage people to 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 not wait until year end to try and get clear. You'll never get clear at year end. You know, as long as you're getting a meets expectation, which is how we do it in the U.S., a lot of about 70 percent of people get a meets expectation. And I don't know what that means. But uh, if you go and actually seek feedback out and if you question the things that don't make sense to you in the moment and get clarity and get aligned with your manager, it really does shortcut your experience and make it just so much more frictionless. Hmm. You're able to do that. Hmm. So. Square, square with me. Um, HR, HR function, friend or foe? <laughs> both. They're both. <laughs> I mean, I can. HR. People think HR is supposed to be kind of the fun, family-friendly people, and, and it is true. I mean, I was an HR person, and hopefully, you can make it a better place for employees and keep the company safe from risk. 
And hopefully the two aren't mutually exclusive, but sometimes they are. I mean, really, HR's number one job is to keep the company safe, not you. So HR can be very helpful to you, but they can be very harmful to you depending on the situation. You know, if you bring up a discrimination claim, HR's first job one is to protect risk for the company. And so they're going to push to keep something out of the record or out of email and try and solve it outside of that. And yet if HR needs you needs to get you to sign something to protect the company, they're going to put everything in email to protect the company. And so you really have to understand how you utilize HR to get them to be a partner and help you. And there's words you use, phrases you use to help because they're all about risk. So you don't ask for a raise because you want a raise. You know, you would want to say, hey, HR, would you rescope my position? I've had a whole bunch of new responsibilities added, and I think it might need to be rescoped. They'll hear that. But what they won't hear is, I need a raise because I haven't had one for a while. Mm. Mm. That's a that's a interesting. So should 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 um, HR be responsible for learning and development and coaching an organization? Then, um, because um, yeah, HR have got a distinct role. I, I I often see them. I do a lot of profiling, and I, I see HR directors often as being quite quite analytical and detailed, and higher fire and more structured mm-hmm. than one might might expect. Um, but I also see them where they look after learning and develop sometimes not being learning develops not trusted as much because they're scared people are scared of the information that might go back into the company yeah i don't think well second only to managers who are the most hated in companies according to at least my million followers Mm. hr would be a close second Mm. uh and i i really think hr can do some wonder hr does do some wonderful things but they're not they're not there to solve your problems. They're there to create a framework that you can take advantage of. So for learning and training, I hope most companies are doing learning and training because quite frankly, it's one of the only ways to bend the curve on loyalty nowadays is to day one, help somebody see what's possible. But you are still your greatest advocate. You always will be more so than even your manager. You have to take charge of your career and ask for what you need. There's a real difference between somebody who says, Okay, I'm here, company. Tell me what I need to do to grow. A manager, tell me, you know, you take charge. Tell me where to go, what to do. And the success that person will have versus somebody who says, this is the path I'd really like to go. I think I'm good at this. Manager, here's a few experiences that I'd like to have. Here's some exposure to some teams and other work that I'd like to do. Can you pave the way for me to do that? Now, that person is going to increase their ability to be promotable exponentially over the other person. But I think sometimes we think that HR is supposed to fix everything, fix pay, fix, you know, get us where we want. And I think we think managers are supposed to be our only advocate or that managers are somehow going to create work-life balance for us. And that, that simply isn't the case. They're not your life coach. You know, there's a lot of responsibility that we have. And if you know how to talk to them about it, they will they will help you. They want to help you, but you have to know what to ask for. And then, what from your experience? What what percentage of employees truly do take a hundred percent responsibility for the career? And who, who are maybe who are maybe sits more like sheep, really, just being well, you know, a bit you know, frustrated because they don't get the opportunities or don't go as far as they might have hoped to. And 
That's a good question. I mean, the I don't know if I have a, a percentage exactly. As some people don't want to grow in their career, by the way, and I think yeah. that's fine, right? That That's not for everybody. Some people just need to make a paycheck and go home. Their, their life's complicated enough. So, but for those who do want to grow, I would say the ones that take charge and actually get proactive about it, I, I would say at least 75% of those will get where they want to go because they're aware that they have a role in it and they're not just waiting for somebody else to take care of them. Yeah. And sometimes those people, other people look at, look at them and see them, see them as being driven and, uh, and can be a bit jealous of them. And, but actually all they've done is just got, got a vision and a plan and they've worked towards it and, and asked for help. Well, I talk about somebody in the book, I call him Golden Boy. <laughs> I called him, I really did call him Golden Boy. I'd come home and tell my husband, Golden Boy is driving me crazy. You know, I thought he was getting everywhere because he was playing politi- company politics so well. And it just made me crazy. He had work-life balance and he was going on family vacations and they kept giving him raises and everybody loved him. And I thought, that just irritates me. But when I could step back and actually see it for what it was, which is he really understood what the company valued and what they didn't value, how to get work across the finish line. And he understood how to select the work that he did. I was doing everything that came at me like a cue. You know, it came in, I'd put it on the list and get it out. But that, you know, one of the biggest keys for people, one of the biggest lies they tell themselves, Chris, is that if I work hard, I'll be rewarded. And it simply doesn't work that way. Working hard is important, but choosing the right work is equally as important. And in fact, as a as a leader over people, I would take a hard enough worker who works on things that make a difference and create momentum over somebody that just works hard, really hard, but doesn't pick the right things all day long. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely completely get that. Um, so, so that's one of the that's one of the lies. Then, if we work work hard will be mm-hmm. rewarded. Uh, what other lies are there that we should know about? Well, why don't we start with the foundational lie, the one that makes everybody mad today. And that is that companies, people think that companies are the devil. Companies are bad. They're inherently bad yeah. and mistreat people. And companies aren't good or bad. They are simply aligned to get results. That's it. And I think we get mad at companies when uh, they want to get as much out of us as they can. But quite literally, that that it's not meant to be nefarious. Companies have to make a profit. And if they don't make a profit, they don't exist. And that's where sometimes we get misaligned is that we somehow think that the company should do all the things we ask them to do for us. But that's that's their goal. And, and when they're trying to make a profit, it's kind of like when a dog barks. You can't get mad because a dog barks. It's being a dog. A company's being a company when it's trying to get its people to be more efficient or to do more. And that's where I say the balance comes in for people. You have to play a part in the conversation about workload and about when you're full. A company doesn't have some magic ball and know you're full. Your manager doesn't know automatically when you're full. You got to be a part of that conversation if you really want to, you know, have some sanity. Yeah. And I think what sometimes I, I feel that people don't get is that, you know, a company, if you, if you distill a company down to its simplest form, it has to either keep, keep adding value or increasing efficiency. Uh, and it's the same with an individual, isn't it? You know, people are paid 
to mm-hmm. add value or um and that or that you know financially uh might be for them procurement it could be in terms of cost savings um mm-hmm. or, or they're, they're working on making the business more efficient through processes through you know doing financial things in a better way etc but at the end of the day if you if you look at those two things there's probably an honest question to ask how much value am i'm adding uh, and how much efficiency am i contributing and if you're doing lots of both then you i wonder if you might find your career moving forward faster than others you're you've hit the nail on the head i mean really the crux of the book is about how do you add value how do you talk about it with your leaders how do you how do you speak the language of the business, which is numbers? It's one thing to say, I'm working really hard, but that company doesn't compute that. But when you can say, I've been able to cut costs in our recruiting department by 20% and increase the number of candidates that we've brought in by 25%, that that's big to the company. That's results that speak to a company. And what I find is that people lose a lot of leverage they could have by not understanding how to speak the language of the company. So for instance, a very typical raise request would be, I'm working harder because people have left the company. I haven't had a raise for a couple of years and I feel like I'm doing a lot more than I used to. I've added more responsibility. That's just kind of white noise to a company. But when you can say, wow, since since I came, I was doing these five duties. Now I'm doing these 10 duties. I've also gotten results. You've saved, you know, $60,000 because you didn't need to rehire this person. But in addition, I've been able to save this much in the budget or or streamline the processes by 40% or take 10 steps out of this process. When you can begin to speak about it that way, the company understands that very, very well. Mm. And so I dedicate a couple of chapters to what is leverage how do you get it because you have more of it than you think? And how do you begin to speak that language to the company? Because I promise you, if you start speaking it, you'll get more of what you ask for, whether it's a, a title, whether it's money, whether it's experiment to try and experiment with the company. They'll listen when you say it the right way. Yeah. So, what, so what other lies do we need to be aware of? Uh, one of the lies is... I think people, one of the lies is that if I'm loyal to the company, it will be loyal in return. Mm. And I find that um, we should never be more loyal to a company than it can reasonably be to us in return. And I I think a company, if they hear that, somebody in a company will go, oh, I hate that. But I'm not trying to say don't work hard. What that is about, what that's about at its core is you have to create the right loyalty mix for you. You have to be able to say, this feels right. And in my career, there's been times I've worked really, really hard and that's okay. And I've been out of balance and that feels all right. And there've been times that I need to keep a steady pace, but you and not your manager and not your company should be setting the the pace for you and establishing that work-life balance because you know, so many people will end up getting laid off and then feel so frustrated and feel like the company did them wrong when they could have been a better partner in establishing guidelines and boundaries around work. And and that's not to say you go to your boss and you say, I'm working too much, take stuff off my plate. Again, it's the way you talk. It's, 
hey, here's the priorities. I've made a priority. Here's the top priorities, the second priorities, and the third. I'm going to focus on the first ones because we win when we do those really important ones. But are you okay that these third ones are in third place? They may not get done. Now, what we can't do is do all of them or else we'll do all of them poorly. But are you aligned with me on this? Those are the kinds of conversations and scripts I offer in the book because people have a hard time understanding how to have the right conversation. They want to have it. They just don't know how. So, so what, we, what we're really talking about here is, is raising our level of emotional intelligence to be, able to, so. to be able to communicate in a more nuanced way, perhaps. Very much so. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. I had a client call me and they said, I swear you're a mind reader. You, I, I, we've practiced this conversation. They went exactly where you said they were going to go on this. And I responded how we practice and it went exactly how you said. And it's because, you know, people's behavior is actually pretty predictable when you've seen it thousands and thousands of times. And so that's why I feel like I have something to offer in the book that not everybody has had that that unique perspective of saying, oh, I know how that one's going to play out for you. <laughs> that's going to that one's going to break for you. But this way, this one's going to work for you. Yeah. And it's just offering up a little bit of that insight that I've seen so that people don't have to stumble along. Yeah. So so somebody is struggling with burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just looking to see how long we've got to commercial break. I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, someone's struggling. They are, are feeling really burn, burned out. And I mean, a lot of people who some people who do get in that situation, they, it's because they've taken more and more and more and not said no. But how do people say share that in a nuanced way, in a way that really does um, mm-hmm. uh, and feel psychologically safe to do it? So how I'm trying to figure out how I can how I can uh, bring this down to just quick little points because there's really a couple of buckets. One is that um, before you even have to have the conversation, you have more power than you think over your schedule. And I talk about the 10% miracle and take people through an exercise to get 10% of their time back. I think everybody can get 10% back. The second thing is you got to learn how to work with your brain rather than against it, which is also a big deal. We think if we just keep, I'm going to knock it out. I'm going to keep working until I knock everything out. And then we burn ourselves out. But there are times of the day when your brain works better than others. And you need to know when it is so you can work on the hard stuff then and the easy stuff. And you need to know the triggers when you're feeling burned out. So you don't just stare at email for three hours and lose that time and not do anything. Now, aside from all of that, the things you can do by yourself, then I think I I outline three buckets. There's a bucket that you can do to create balance and help with burnout without making any fancy announcements. There's one that you might have to talk to your manager about a little. And then there's the come to Jesus conversation. And that one is the one on priorities. And I give you the script and likely what your manager is going to respond with and how you respond back. So. There's quite a few components to it, but um, it's within everybody's grasp to get a little bit of control back. Yeah, great. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break. And after the commercial break, we're going to be back for back for a bit more, which will be great. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have a, you know, have a, have a think while you're listening to this and maybe with a piece of paper and think what's relevant to you. Take some notes, maybe two or three insights that you can take away from this. And, and I think one of the nuggets i think that so far for me has come out of this this conversation is this idea about people having half half conversations 
maybe you're just, you know, where are you having a halfway conversation from your perspective and not considering the whole? So on that note, leave you to think about that. We'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper back with Tessa White. And we're going to go straight into this because we've uh, we've got a a fairly short segment now. Um, Tessa, you were talking about, we're talking about people having burnout, but... Quite often, there's some really tough conversations that we have to have and, and, and lean in from time to time, whether we're dissatisfied about something or being pulled off a project or it might be about salary. It might be that you're struggling with your boss. Any magic tips on how we can more effectively deal with those issues? Yes. Uh, you know, we talked about not having halfway conversations, but the the pair up to that is even if you don't know how to have the perfect conversation with somebody, there's three magic questions that I think will keep the conversation flowing because what they do is they assume good intent in the other person. So um, let's say that somebody gave you a project that you didn't understand to be able to uh, ask the question, you know, what happened with this project uh, doesn't make sense to me. And then end with, is that what you intended? Is there something I don't understand 
that could help me? Or do you see it differently? Now, what you'll notice about all three of those questions, Chris, is they open, they leave it open for a discussion. They leave it open to understand the other person instead of what we typically do at work, which is just, you know, say, uh, you know, why would you not, you know, you didn't give me the raise. You must not value me as an employee or you took me off the project. You must not have confidence in me or you know, why would you do that? These allow you to talk. And in fact, in the book I talk about, I was a micromanager and I had those questions used on me to help open up a conversation about how I was being experienced at the workplace. And again, life-changing for me to be able to have somebody ask me, is that what you intended? And be able to then problem solve around it. So is, is that what you intended? Do you see it differently? And what was the... And is there something, is there some information or something going on I don't understand? Right. And I think those three are the key. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, I can see, I can see, see that that's been really helpful. I, I always remember having to make a number of people redundant. And, and, I, and I tried so hard to keep them employed. I've been going, doing it so much behind the scenes. And uh, I remember one of them being so angry with me, even though I did it as nicely as I possibly could, um, that she'd lost her job and blamed me for it. But I mm-hmm. just thought if you'd, if you'd realised the lengths that I'd actually gone to to try and keep you employed, uh, yeah. and, and you'd actually tried to understand a little bit, uh, and, and actually if you'd kept the relation going, I might have been to help you get into job somewhere else, but you just didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just, you just had a half conversation and uh, yeah, it upset me actually. It took me quite a while to deal with that and process it really. Well, I think 90% or more of the people we're dealing with are trying to do the right thing. And we forget that, mm. you know, we assume that, that they're not and that their manager is not trying to have our best interest at heart. And that's why those questions become so absolutely critical. And another quick question I'd like to ask before we go is, so an employee is unhappy, is is leaving the right approach or, or should they make, you know, consider the bigger picture first? How should you approach well, when thinking about maybe I want to leave? The answer is it depends. Uh, you know, I have so many people call me in my Rent My Brain sessions, Chris, and they'll say, I just can't stand it anymore. And it, you know, it, what is it? Mm. And I think you really have to understand what it is. You could have outgrown the company. The company could have outgrown you. Uh, you may be struggling with how to have the right conversations or be stalling out on a particular skill set that I talk about in the five stages of growth, career growth. And you need to understand before you go, speed is the enemy when it comes to leaving a company. You really need to understand why you're leaving and furthermore, what's the right fit for you for the next company if you do leave? Because a lot of people will just say, I can't stand it anymore. I'm leaving. Hey, I found the 10 best companies to work on Glassdoor. That's where I'm going to go work. And then they find themselves in that company and say, I hate it. And it's because they never understood the elements that are important to them. If I'm a person that loves um, companies where I can sink or swim, which I do, I love to build stuff. That's what lights me up. Another person would be exhausted with that and they want the steps laid out. They want a company that has more structure to it. You really need to understand that before you take the leap. So, um, Tessa, people can rent your brain if they want to. Uh, so, Some people. 
Some, Some people, people can, very few nowadays, because most of the work that I do is keynote speaking. So okay. I go to companies and I and I speak about these things. And I do have a corporate book club we're just getting ready to roll out that I can teach people these concepts in companies a week at a time. And over an eight-week period, we get through the book. So that's one way that you could okay. take advantage of what I do. But I do limited mentoring as well in Rent My Brain sessions. And I also offer, it's a video-based uh, question answer. If you have a, a something that's just driving you crazy and you want a little guidance, I love those because I can do them at one in the morning. <laughs> I can do them at whatever time and offer them at a price point that anybody you know could afford. So they can find all of that on my website. Excellent. And what's, Excellent. And what's uh, so, uh, jobdoctor.com. And mm-hmm. um, what does what the next five years look like for you? Oh, well, I hope another book comes out. I'm already working on a book for communicating in conflict. This is such a hot topic right now. And I have one chapter dedicated to it in the book. But more than any other question, I get how do I how do I address conflict at work? And because it to me is the number one gateway skill that you need to grow and the number one reason and fatal flaw that'll kill your career from growing. I'm going to really flesh that out for people. So I hope in five years I have a book. I hope I have a TV show, Chris, quite honestly. I'd really like to do like a makeover, a career makeover show. Remember when they did home makeover, 24-hour home makeover? I'd like to do a career makeover show. I think it's really useful for people to see. They, They need to see how it's done, see the words that are used, and then I think they can apply it uh, to their own careers. And that, to me, would be a lot of fun. Fantastic. No, I think you'd be absolutely brilliant at that career makeover show. Um, yeah, so I think uh, and I think this idea of conflict, uh, there's, um, there's a lot, lot to go at right now. I think there's, that market is ripe for, for support. You might end up helping politicians and countries as well, perhaps. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great, though? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So uh, if people want to go and access your, your book, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. That's right. You can go to my website and you'll have links to all the different places that it's sold as well. Fantastic. Well, I, I have um, I've, I've read the book. I've, well, Scan read the book. because about 300 or so pages because um, I get a book every week. Um, but I can honestly say to you, I thought it was a great book. And I think it is it is one that you should have on your shelf. It is one that you you can dip into and reflect upon. But I think it really does help you understand the workplace much better. So I would I would say this is a must read if you're in that um, organizational space and uh, also helpful if you're a HR professional as well. So um, go to um, go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and um, and look out for uh, give me the title right Unspoken Truths for Career Success by Tessa White. My recommendation to you um, on that. So do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? Well, if I could, just on the book, I would say this to people. I wrote it because there wasn't a book out there like this. It's it's meant to be a reference manual and a guide. It's not a kind of book that you read cover to cover, chapter over chapter builds. Buy it as a reference manual. Dog ear the pages you need. It's got do this, not that, scripts, uh, you know, simple phrases you can use. And it's intended to be a kind of a career Bible, for lack of a better term. And I think that... Um, when people realize that they can read the book through the call out boxes and they can read it through just even the big, there's big things that are uh, bolded. So it's easy to read. It's a very different kind of book than you would typically see. Excellent. 
Good. Well, on next week's show, uh, we've got uh, Paul Davis. We're going to be we're going to be exploring. Paul is from um, Ireland and um, had a fascinating life. He's uh, he, he's like um, myself and Tessa. He's kind of into work around leadership and culture and uh, and the likes. But also, what he t- he talks about is um, is suicide uh, and the desire to kind of end your life. And I think. Um, it's the subject that, um, you know, particularly in young men in, in particular, probably over here in the UK, we see it as a major problem. Uh, and um, so we're going to explore that a little bit as, as well next week. Um, you know, what do we what do we do in that situation to help people when they're feeling really, really um, psychologically low? So do join us next week um, for, for that interview. And once again, uh, Tessa White, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that everybody here will... We'll get benefit from Tessa's work. Uh, if you've got any questions or comments, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk, um, through the jogdoctor.com, you can you can connect with uh, Tessa. Um, but everybody out there, take take care. Um, go and have success. Uh, and also, I think, um, just remember that in life, sometimes we're only seeing half the picture. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.